Well, hello, Convention of State supporters. My name is Andrew Woodruff. I'm going to be your host for this evening as Whitney Taylor is out for the next two weeks on vacation. I know you're going to miss her. She's a great host, and I'm going to do my best to fill her shoes. We hope that Whitney is having a wonderful vacation and that she's staying safe, and she will surely be missed. But we have Hannah Sillers with us, and she is going to do an amazing job co-hosting this episode and next week's episode of Facebook Live. Uh, she is a marketing consultant for COS, and she also is a Texas resident, and she um, also volunteers for Freedom Issues in the U.S. and Asia. Hannah, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Well, we're certainly happy to have you, and we are going to have an amazing program today. We are honored to bring on a COS endorser, Steve Dace, onto this program. Uh, he is the host of the nationally syndicated uh, Steve Dace Show, where he's been raising the alarm about the government overreach since the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. Um, he, uh, he is also an advisor to, he's been an advisor to many presidential campaigns, and he has written such books as Rules for Patriots, A Nefarious Plot, and Truth Bombs, which makes a very strong argument for having an Article 5 Convention of States. Steve Dace, thank you so much for coming on to this episode of Facebook Live. How are you doing, sir? I'd be a lot better if we were a little bit freer, but other than that, that could be a lot worse, I guess. How are you guys? Oh, doing fantastic. I can't argue with that. Certainly could be better if we were freer and not in this whole debacle with the lockdowns and everything like that. I'm in California, so I'm really, really feeling the pinch on the lockdowns. I want to jump right into this interview. Um, you have been, uh, from the beginning of COVID-19 and from the subsequent lockdowns, you have been one of the leading voices that has not succumbed to the groupthink. You've been asking questions and you've been highlighting research that goes counter to the, um, to the establishment narrative. And... Some people might say that that's been risky, but you have seen tremendous increase in your growth at, on your podcast and on Blaze TV. Why do you? Um, why did you instinctively push back against the lockdowns, and um, in a time when it was really unpopular to do so, and the response was unpredictable? Well, two things. One, the, when Anthony Fauci was introduced as unassailable, my career in politics has taught me, and I'm I'm a from a Theo nerd standpoint, I'm a total depravity kind of guy. So when when I was introduced to Mr. Unassailable, my spidey sense started tingling right away. I, I don't believe anybody's unassailable. And always be the most concerned about whoever in the room that you're being told is unassailable. Nobody tiptoes between the raindrops. Nobody doesn't have the stain of human nature on them somewhere. That was number one. But number two, guys, I, I just started doing the math on, on data we were getting out of Italy. For example, didn't really count any of the data from uh, China, any of its data at all, because I just think they lie. And I seeing some of the countries that were early exposed to this, like Taiwan and South Korea, how they behaved compared to how we were behaving. And uh, it, the, the math just didn't add up. And I, I don't, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a physician. I'm not an immunologist. I'm not a virologist. I'm a BSologist. And one thing I is research data and then analyze it and then reverse analyze it to see if the original analysis has integrity because you know philosophy is a science like any other and and one of philosophy is for one side's assertion to be true the the other side must be true as well the reverse has to be true otherwise we have what's called a fallacy and so from the very beginning 
the the math didn't add up. For example, how do you how do you do 15 days to flatten a curve if you don't know when a curve began? I mean, when did this virus arrive? We were all showed these in late February and early March. We were all showed these alarmist escalator charts. No cases, no cases. Now this huge spike. Well, what date did the virus arrive? And you know now we've got serology exams from Ohio, from Northern California that shows it was here at least into early January. So a good four to six weeks before this was on anybody's radar whatsoever. And if you guys will indulge me for a second, I just posted some data the late as of five o'clock Eastern today. So close of business today. Do you guys mind if I share some of this with your audience? Because I think they'd be fascinated. Absolutely. Please, Steve. All right. So percentage of Americans in nursing homes that were killed by coronavirus. 36% of America's nursing home residents have sadly died. 43% of all deaths in America from coronavirus were in nursing homes where 0.6% of the population lives, which means the percentage of Americans not in nursing homes killed by coronavirus, 0.03%, 0.03. Percentage of Americans to ever test positive for coronavirus, 1.5%. Percentage of Americans who currently are positive for coronavirus, 0.7%. Percentage of Americans not in New York or New Jersey who have died of coronavirus, 0.03%. Total number of states with fewer than 1,000 coronavirus deaths, 24. Total coronavirus deaths in Arizona, Texas, Florida, and Georgia, you know, those four red states the media is crushing, 22,667. Total coronavirus deaths in New York, which the media praises, 32,798. And those four red states have almost four times the population of New York. Number of the 10 deadliest coronavirus states that have mask mandates, eight. Number of the 10 least deadliest coronavirus states that have mask mandates or that do not have mask mandates, five. Where blue states, New York and New Jersey would rank in deaths in the world if they were their own state, deaths by 1 million population, they would be the worst country in the world for deaths by 1 million population. Where red states, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, and Texas would rank in that stat. 13th, despite the fact they have four times the population of New York and New Jersey. Um, U.S. deaths by 1 million population, if you include New York and New Jersey, 483. If you take them away, it drops to 358. European countries with the worst with worse coronavirus mortality than the U.S. if you subtract New York and New Jersey. Uh, Belgium, U.K., Spain, Italy, Sweden, France. And Netherlands, I, you can look at all those stats, and I think mm-hmm. instances like yours need to ask themselves a simple question: Given those actual numbers, was this worth losing one third of our GDP, leaving our loved ones to die alone, not treating any other sickness in this country for months? And now you're seeing even the New York Times is talking now about the suicides, the drug addictions, uh, the the depressions, and everything else, making our children wear diapers on their faces that. That Hong Kong, 81% mask usage, third wave of lockdowns. Philippines, 91% mask usage, second wave of lockdowns. All right. I mean, was, was anything that we've endured for the last five months worth it, given the numbers I just cited, when we're supposedly in the middle of when it's the worst it's ever been, I think most people that are thinking with their brains would say no. Right. That's astounding. Those numbers are just I'm processing them right now, and I cannot believe that we're in the situation that we're in, considering what we know now. And the CDC director recently came out and said that it looks like that drug overdoses and suicides are now spiking and have surpassed COVID-19 deaths. 
Um, so I, there's also reports too, I was just reading about domestic abuse rates being higher. And the UN now says that lockdowns have put hundreds of millions of people in developing countries at risk of starvation, not to mention the 30 million Americans that are facing unemployment. So um, I would love to hear from you, your thoughts on why didn't politicians and bureaucrats consider some of those possible, I mean, we say unintended consequences, but you know, in reality, they're predictable consequences as a result of staying locked indoors. It's the million dollar question. And when I get to heaven, one of the things I'm gonna ask Jesus that I have to know, I won't be able to rest in peace until I know why in the Sam Hill, Donald Trump surrendered his presidency to Anthony Fauci and Debbie Burks for five months and the IHME model and everything else. And I think, Anna, there's three possible answers I think everybody that everybody that you're asking about fits into one of three categories. I think that you want to give some mercy, some grace, some benefit of the doubt. This was a novel coronavirus. Now, coronaviruses are not novel. Almost everybody watching this has had one. It's called a cold in many cases. Um, coronaviruses, we've been dealing with them for six to seven decades. But this one was different in that it mutated from animal to animal and then animal to human. We had not seen that yet from a coronavirus. So I think there was some legitimate fear of what exactly was it Captain Trips? We don't know. We know we can't trust China. Uh, the WHO was on Twitter in January tweeting out there's no human-to-human -human transmission of COVID-19. So that was obviously not true. So we were hit with something, blindsided with it, without really any reliable data outside of Italy. And Italy's healthcare system was brought to its knees because it didn't have 5,000 extra ICU beds. I, I don't understand how a modern Western country of 60 million people couldn't handle another 5,000 ICU beds, but that's literally what brought Italy's healthcare system to its knees. So some of this was we were caught flat-footed by something from nature we had not seen or maybe a Chinese lab that we had not seen before. That's part of it. The, the second uh, part of it is that, uh, you know, it's the Rahm Emanuel School of Government, never let a good crisis go to waste. We're sitting here in an election year with a president who has presided over the best economic growth we've had since the dot-com boom 20 years ago. And you've already tried uh, an impeachment. You've already tried a $40 million uh, independent counsel that came up with, yeah, he didn't do anything that we accused him of. So we're kind of running out of options here. So I don't know, maybe we can cr get him to crush his economy and see if he'll stupidly go along with it. I think that's, that's option two. And then the third option is something we don't talk about a lot, but it's a worldview option. We have seen science in our culture in our day and age morph into what I like to call scientism. I think a good example of this is in the movie The Martian, when Matt Damon says, I'm going to science the bleep out of this. Like, I can just make stuff up, you know, like, it's like the Green Lantern power ring. It, it, I, it can construct things. If my mind just wills it, I can conjure truth. I can conjure outcomes. There's a pill for everything, even though the, the disclaimer is longer than the actual ad, ad when you watch the 30-second spot. There's a device for everything. That, that somehow we humans, this is the progressive worldview, that we are, we be like God. We are just constantly building little towers of Babel, and we can constantly bring the world to our knees, that we don't have to admit and accept that there's some things in this world beyond us, the death rate's going to be 100%, and all we have is what we can do with the time that we actually have. And I think that's where we went right from there's 57 genders to, wow, we can control a virus, and no, you can't especially that's a respiratory virus. Why? Because we all have to breathe. At some point, we're going to all have to breathe. So this idea 
that we could just, you know, isolate the healthy. So we now we're not getting the herd immunity. We're taking all the healthy immune systems off of the board. And, and now we wondered when we locked all these healthy people down, we let them back out again. Of course, they were going to get reinfected. They're going to get infected because they hadn't been infected the first time. It's actually good news that the virus is running into the younger immune systems now. In my home state of Iowa, the average age of a new case, guys, is 22 years old. That's what we want. We want to see the virus go up against 22-year-olds, not the 82-year-olds in our, in our nursing homes that it just absolutely decimated. All right. And so that's that's what Sweden did. Sweden practiced good old fashioned science without a vaccine. And now you see where their curve is at compared to ours. And so this scientism notion, this idea that there are perfect outcomes, perfect solutions, utopian ideas. We're just going to hide out for a vaccine. Remember, we heard that in March and April. Folks, we've been trying 70 years to get a coronavirus vaccine. We've never been able to come up with one. The flu vaccine, depending on the strain where you live, fails 20 to 50% of the time every single flu season. So this idea, you know, they tried for 12 years to get a vaccine to the first SARS and they gave up. They never could make it happen. So this idea that we were just going to put the economy on pause, like you can just do that with people's lives, not no proms, no marriages, no weddings, no graduations, you know, the stuff that actually makes life worth living, that, that are benchmarks that we measure the time we have on earth by. Right. Nobody, nobody's tombstone says survived 81 years. Their tombstones, loving mother, loving father, loving husband, loving wife, loving daughter, son. Those relationships, benchmarks, we put all those on hold. OK, so that we could concoct a perfect scenario and it could never happen. And I think, yes, we have the politicians that want to take advantage of this on the left. Yes, we have the politicians like the president that have mismanaged this terribly. But I think what's driving this culturally, the Karen phenomenon and other things you see, is this worldview that we don't have to really, that we are the highest being here, that there's nothing higher than us that we have to be accountable to, that we are masters of our own fate. Mm -hmm. And that, I think it's fascinating. Every time we try a mitigation strategy, it fails. Social distancing failed, the masks fail. Everything we try other than just good old fashioned science fails. Right, and we, we you highlighted uh, like a plethora of controversies there that are associated with this virus. You you talked about uh, the vaccine, the herd immunity, protecting the vulnerable, and trying to get uh, the young and healthy out there to uh, acquire this herd immunity. And then you also touched on the masks, and I think that's really where the the heat of the controversy is at right now is the the mask mandate that is going on, um, which seems like an abuse of people's rights to mandate them to wear a mask or any type of article of clothing, whatever. Um, and there are even you know, many uh, uh, churches and people within the Christian community who, have, who are saying they've had enough. They're saying they're, they're done, it's been five months and they're not gonna abide by these mask mandates anymore. Um, but there are also some Christians out there who are pushing back against those uh, churches who are saying that they don't wanna abide by these rules anymore. They usually will cite uh, submission to governing authorities, Romans 13, right. or they'll submit right. to, uh, or they'll uh, invoke loving thy neighbor, so put, put on your mask. What do you say to uh, Christians that are saying that, considering that you have mentioned uh, your faith multiple times on your show? I think that the, there, if, the questions you ask me, I get these a lot, brother, and they're from the book of false choices. Um, it's, you won't find it in the scriptures. They're somewhere in the Apocrypha. Uh, but first of all, I'm not anti-mask. I don't believe you have a right to not be inconvenienced during, uh, you know, cosmic or existential events. I, I don't. I don't think you have a right to that. But the masks don't work. I'm anti-flat earth. 
I'm anti-junk science. The masks don't work. The microbes are too small. The masks don't work. They, they don't work. I mean, and I, I mean, there's a reason why the scientists in the Netherlands, Holland, uh, 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 Norway found that they were going to need a mask. They were going to need to medically mask 200,000 people to stop one infection in Norway, uh, which doesn't have close to the population density that we do. Denmark any day now is slated to release the first random controlled scientific study on masks mitigating COVID-19. And since they finished the study, they haven't mandated the use of masks. You can probably get a hint of what that study is going to say. They, they don't work. Every study on how to use masks collectively to mitigate against these kinds of viruses prior to about a month ago, all said they don't work until this whole thing became politicized. So I'm not anti-mask, I'm anti-BS, and the masks don't work. Ask the people in the Philippines going under another lockdown in Hong Kong and et cetera, Japan. So that's one issue, is the masks don't work. Then there's the civil authority issue. You know, we like to, we misquote Romans 13 a lot because we leave out the final line of that, of, of, of that series of verses. You have to keep in mind, Paul is not, is not superseding what Christ said here in Romans 13. He's clarifying it. Because Jesus already said, render under Caesar that which is Caesar's, render under God that which is God's. So what Paul is doing is, and he's uniquely qualified to do so because he's a Roman citizen and a Jew. He is a rarity. First of all, he has Roman citizenship, which was rare anyway, which meant that he had civil liberties or at least a proto version of them in the first century. Not nearly as extensive as we have 20, you know, 2000 years later, but for the first century, this was pretty progressive. But he also has those rights as a Jew who's called to live holy, peculiar, set apart from the rest of the world. So he is uniquely trying to navigate these two impulses as we Christians are. We're in the world, but not of it, but yet we're Americans at the exact same time. And so Paul is, is, is articulating, itemizing what this means in Romans 13. And the very last sentence is the, is the, is the culminator. He says, to pay honor or give honor to whom honor is due. And later on, Peter says, honor the king, right? Now, what did these two men mean by this? Well, Peter met his end being crucified upside down. Paul met his end because he got decapitated by Nero. If Paul meant to whatever Nero says, then he wouldn't have been, why was he under house arrest? And then why was he decapitated? Clearly, that's not what Paul meant because he was treated as an enemy of the state. Clearly, it's not what Peter meant to just do whatever the state says. Otherwise, why was he treated as an enemy of the state? And remember what was written over Christ's head at the cross. The Romans wrote, King of the Jews. Now, we understand that Jesus died for the, for the sins of the world. But in the Roman mind, they viewed him as an insurrectionist. He was tried for a sedition. And when, when the Jews brought him to, to the proconsul, they said, hey, we have no king but Caesar. This man is claiming he's a king. What is the one, what's one of the few questions that Pilate asked Jesus? He says, are you a king, right? And so this in the Roman mind was about who's the sovereign here? Is Rome sovereign or do you represent, are you the king of Israel or do we, are we the rightful rulers of Israel? And so from the very beginning, Christianity has been in conflict with the governing authorities of this world because we represent a higher authority. So no, we do not just do whatever the state says. And if you believe that, by the way, you should renounce your American citizenship. I often say to people who view the, the, those in the Native American community are disadvantaged. And I'm like, if you really believe that, then you should renounce your Western 
the, the trinkets of Westernism. Trade in Wi-Fi for wampum. Go join the, the, the local uh, Indian reservation. Get rid of all of your modern conveniences and technologies of Western civilization. Show me your level of commitment. Show me you really believe this. Similarly, I would say to Christians that are misinterpreting Romans 13 along those lines, you should renounce your American citizenship then because you should view the American Revolution as a violation of Romans 13. They should have just done and accepted whatever King George mm. told them to do. You cannot have it both ways. If you want to assert something, you have to be willing to take it to its most logical conclusion. And then finally, on the love your neighbor as you love yourself thing, you know, that works both ways. I'm asthmatic, for example. So if I'm the one guy that walks in uh, without a mask on, are you going to judge me that I'm, I'm not doing it to be a pretend fake badass or anything of that nature? I don't think wearing a mask is patriotic, and I don't think not wearing one is patriotic. I'm not going to tell some guy that did three tours in Afghanistan that I think it, that is wearing a mask at Walmart, dude, I just don't think you're very patriotic. I think you're kind of a, a wuss. I'm not going to do that. That's stupid, right? So, But are, are, are you going to cut me slack? If I walk, you know, our Lord left 99 behind to find the one lost sheep. If I'm the one person walking in there with a respiratory issue and I can't wear a mask, do you judge me? Does, it, does the grace work the other way? How come it's love your neighbor, you love yourself only in the direction of what gives us, what gives us praise among the men we're called to uh, convict? Notice it only works one way here, okay? And and by the way, the state is is lying to people, folks. When it it's telling you, Debbie Burks is what she is claiming that if, if y'all wear a mask for the next four to six weeks, you know, I was in California. California had a two-month mask mandate. I was there the weekend it opened for a business meeting. Everyone wearing a mask, even outside, in Los Angeles County, spiking cases. But why you put in a mask mandate on April the 24th? April 24th. Now it's in the midst of a 700% increase in cases. The masks don't work. Now, if you want to wear one on the chance that it can help somebody, I don't think you're a terrible person and God bless you. But the idea that this is a definitive panacea, a definitive mechanism that works, it's, it's just not. Yeah, I can relate to that. Steve, I was wondering um, real quick, if we'd be able to keep you around a little bit longer. I, we're sure. just loving the, the, uh, what you're saying and answering our questions and all of the information that you're giving our viewers. Would you be able to hang on a little bit longer so that we could get to a couple of our COS questions? Would that be okay with you? You bet. Be happy to. Awesome. I was in uh, Maryland a few weeks ago and went on a hike in a state park, and there were people everywhere in the state park wearing masks outdoors, climbing up. Mm -hmm. and, and it just it just blew my mind and there were actually people glaring at a pregnant lady who wasn't wearing a mask but was socially distancing and it was just it was mind-blowing to me because i mean i'm from texas there's a little bit of a different culture here um mm -hmm. and and it was just i think it's astounding just how much we've renounced our self-governance and you know at that's a great school, way of putting it yeah that's, oh, very, no, that's a very articulate potent way of putting it we have renounced our self-governance. And again, if you're going to ask me this, what you just described there from a Christian perspective, you described a form of idolatry and where the mask becomes a talisman of like, like, you know, now we're into the meat, you know, sacrifice to idols. Hey, you think that is the, the meat sacrifice to a consecrated to a demon? You don't want to eat it? They don't eat it, Paul says. You think, hey, you know what? There's only one God and I'm hungry. So I think the meat smells good. You want to eat it? Paul says, go ahead and eat it. Just don't violate your conscience or impede somebody else's conscience at the exact same time. So when we just assume, hey, if you're not engaged in the same civic preference, not, not law or sacrament, 
the same civic preference that I am, that indicates that you're a lesser person than me. That is a form of idolatry. And I don't think Christians should participate in that on any level whatsoever. Not, not, the, not the wearing of the mask, but the judging of people based on whether they're wearing a mask. I, I don't want to, you know, we, we're, we've already got a pro-mask cult, and I don't want to see an anti-mask cult begin either. Right. That's a great point. Um, mm-hmm. It just shows how much the facade of tolerance comes off when when you see people not wearing masks and people wearing masks judging them. But, you know, at a convention of states, that's what we're about is bringing back just in a in a big picture kind of sense, bringing back kind of a culture of self-governance and reclaiming that which we are, I believe, losing um, and giving up due to government overreach, you know, handing over to bureaucrats. And, um, you know, it's just it's just astounding. If you think about it in the context of American history, you know, we wrote the founders wrote we the people at the top of the Constitution, not we the experts. Um, so I, I would love to hear from you. Are you concerned about the precedent that we have set so that bureaucrats um, can easily just send out mandates and respond to any current news item and shut down society regardless of the consequences? Yes. Yeah. I mean, we have shown that we will roll over here. And I think that's the part of this. You know, I, I'm not surprised to see leftists go for the jugular. I'm not surprised to see leftists go for the checkmate move here. I'm not surprised by that at all. You know what I am kind of what I am surprised by and and disappointingly so is you mentioned you were from Texas. Your governor put out a ridiculous flat earth voodoo mask mandate, even wear one outside outdoors where it's 170 degrees in the shade and I'm sweating. So first of all, I'm sweating into the mask. I've already ruined its efficacy. At some point, I'm going to take it off because I'm overheating or to get something to drink. I've ruined my I've ruined it the second time. Then I'm going to put it back on. And then after I put all those germs into it, then I'm going to re-ingest it. I could just go on and on and on. The whole thing's ridiculous. And it's the kind of thing that if Ann Richards, you guys are probably too young to remember her, I think she was the last Democratic governor of, of Texas. If Ann Richards had issued this, our people would be outside marching in the streets, man, with the AR-15s right now. All right. And the Republican governor does it. And instead, we're like, you, you call shows like mine and complain under your breath. and You write nasty emails. But then in the end, you're kind of like, well, we how do we fight? That's our guy. He's doing it to us. So I guess, you know, we got to kind of put up with it better than the Democrats. And that puts us in a position where we don't oppose statism or terrible policy unless it's from someone who's who's wearing a different uniform than us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is... There's no self-governance there. There's only tribalism there. And, you know, there's a reason that Jesus, Jesus doesn't warn us about being aware of uh, uh, wolves. You instinctively know when a wolf comes, fight or flight, either lock and load or run like hell. You know this, all right? Same reason Jesus didn't tell you to run from wolves. The same reason to tell you, hey, when you're thirsty, drink. When, you gotta go to the, when, you're, when, you're, when your bladder's full, pee. You're going to do those things instinctively. You're told to do the things that kind of go against your instincts. So we're not told to fear wolves. We're told to fear the wolf in sheep's clothing. And it's usually the guy with his own jersey that's far more of a threat because it's the whole Cicero enemy at the gate thing, uh, or enemy within the gate thing. The one that's within the gate that speaks your language and knows your customs, you're far more likely to go along with him. And I think that's what concerns me is 
that um, we have rolled over way too much. God bless John MacArthur, but a, a church in California should have done this long before his did. I don't understand why there, why every single uh, God-fearing church in Nevada was not open this last weekend. The Supreme Court says, hey, you can't open, but the strip clubs and the casinos can. If I was a pastor of one of those churches, unless, unless I've got an older congregation where the average age is like 70, I'm taking that as a screw you, we're opening this weekend and singing as loud as we can. See, that the fact that that didn't happen, that's the danger. That's the danger. Because... It, it shows you that our people are growing increasingly complacent. And that's that's far more of a threat than the opposition. Because if, if if we're complacent, then there is no threat to the opposition. That's right. You recently mentioned, too, that you believe Convention of States might be the very last uh, peaceable option for the Americans, uh, American citizens to affect the change that they want to see. And it was interesting because it sounded very much like Colonel George Mason um, right before Article 5, the process of Article 5 was introduced to the uh, Constitution, um, to the uh, Constitutional Convention of 1787, um, where he said that people must have recourse short of violence if Congress should become oppressive. Do you see uh, COS as a mode to escape uh, future bloodshed if we continue down this path, and because you'd mentioned statism, and you'd mentioned um, you'd mentioned the the Marxist agenda, do you think this is a way to get American the American people to stop uh, reacting to the statism and to the Marxism, but to actually affect the change that they want to see? Yes, absolutely. I, I think if you want to know what the Shycoms figured out after Tiananmen Square, is if 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 we give our people the latest technological gadgets and some form of customized uh, modernity where they can tap into the larger world and feel like they're a part of it, if we give them just a little bit of that, then they'll let us decide what religion they can be, how many kids they can have, how much money they can make. If we, if we, if we fill their free time, that we, that we, we, we won't have to roll tanks down Tiananmen Square ever again. And I think that's what the Shycoms have, have created. And I think if you look at what's gone on a lot in Western Europe, it's been a, a less totalitarian variation of that, which is we just give our people the, you know, uh, the, the fun stuff they want, and then they'll give us the power we like. I think if you want to know why a country like Sweden was, didn't, treated dishonestly and didn't, didn't look to power grab or abuse its people, it was already considered the most secular nation in all of Europe. The evangelical church there is on pace to die in 20, by 2050. Um, it's something like 2% of the population in Sweden attends church on a somewhat regular basis. So they already had the power they want. And, and no point destroying your own country when you have the power you want. And so let's treat our people honestly and, and be honest about it because they already gave us the power that we want so we can all treat this with real science now. And, and I think those are all is that because we're in this conflict stage right now um, that we can't trust a lot of what gets said from our media sources, our government sources, because right about now, everybody has an angle. And what I'm concerned about, when you look at what's gone on at the Supreme Court under John Roberts, really not just this year, but for several years, going back to when he told Arizona they couldn't enforce their own immigration laws if Obama wouldn't do it. He has uh, he saved Obamacare not once but twice. He is nullifying elections. 
And keep in mind, the Democratic Party lost over a thousand elections after Obamacare was signed into law. People didn't want it. Yet John Roberts, over the will of the people, saved it not once but twice, and he rewrote the law both times. He the second time rewrote what the meaning of state exchange was. The first time when the Obama attorneys from the administration said that the mandate was not a tax, in his opinion, he rewrote it as a tax to make it legal. Um, and if you look at what he's done recently on issues, he is saying to you, if you voted for Donald Trump, there was no point to your vote. 60 some odd million Americans, your vote's irrelevant. I'll just override your votes. You, you, you voted for him because you thought he was going to be tough on immigration. I'm, I'm going I'm to force him to do DACA. And so when you continue to tell people that their votes don't count, this is what I'm afraid of. I don't want to see this happen, which is why I'm supporting an endeavor like yours. Because we don't have a political party that represents us by and, by and large. That's pretty obvious. You have individuals within that party that are good, decent, God-fearing patriots. But systemically, the Republican Party on a holistic level is not interested in defending us against the American left. It's just not. And if it was, there wouldn't be a need for a cause like yours to do the kind of thing, to do this in, in its place, right? So um, I, I am afraid. I've got three teenagers. I am afraid that eventually you'll push the people who own the guns so far that they'll start pushing back when they realize there's no other place for them to go other than, I guess I got to do this myself. I mean, we were a country started by people who came to that conclusion, right? You know, mm -hmm. I was on CNN after the almost near assassination of those Republican congressmen in Virginia three years ago. And I said at the time, if, if, if that man had been successful, that could have been like an Archduke Ferdinand moment in our culture. I think I think we are looking for a, a powder. We, we are a powder keg right now, looking for a spark, and that has me afraid. And I am afraid that if we don't see that there are, it doesn't mean we get, we're going to win every time. By the way, but right now we're winning none of the time. We're like winning elections and still don't get what we want. We win elections, and the other side still gets everything they want. And you can, if you're going to keep doing that, eventually people are going to say, "All right, then, I guess I got to go Batman here and just take this into my own hands." And I, I would prefer that we come up with a way for us to have our grievances heard and at least get some compromise with the system before it gets to that point. I don't see another endeavor on the horizon that, pre pre that presents us that option other than a convention of states. Yeah, well, God forbid we actually get to that point. We do need convention of states. It is our only option. And... Um, Article 5, our Article 5 resolution has been passed in 15 states, which is incredibly encouraging. The great news that is um, in, a, in a sea of terrible news. Um, and it looks like Michigan is actually going to vote soon. So that resolution allows for the convention to vote on three topics. That is fiscal restraints, term limits, and um, limits on the power of the federal government. It's crafted to prevent government overreach that has just been unstemmed for decades now. And so I'm curious, I know Mark Levin has commented on what his favorite um, amendment would um, be to be adopted. So the counterman amendment is Mark Levin's favorite. And I'm curious to know if you have a particular favorite amendment that, that you want to be passed. I think you have to have a term limit amendment. I, I think that um, you know, if you look at the debate between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists at the founding of the country, in some respects, it's, it's not a perfect theological analogy, kind of a, a loose one, but I'll go with it. In some respects, the Anti-Federalists were your Calvinists, and the Federalists were your Arminians, okay? And, and, you know, 
the anti-federalist Patrick Henry and his group stood up and said, I don't, I think you guys are trusting human nature here way too much. All right. We got to spell out some specifics, way too many sentiments, way too many generalities. We got to make some specifics. We just don't trust human nature on this level. And that out of that debate is where the Bill of Rights came. But I think that both sides did not fathom a time would come that we would create a permanent political class. I've often been asked, hey, why didn't the, why didn't the founders do term limits? Well, keep in mind at the time that Ben Franklin was kind of their professor emeritus, I believe he was in his 80s, you know, which was extremely old for that period of time in history. It's old now. I mean, the life expectancy standard of a, a white male in America right now is about 79 years old. So Ben Franklin was already exceeding that 240 years ago. And, and so they thought, you know, if you get a wise old man like that, he's a resource. Don't kick him to the curb. Don't kick him out to pasture because he's been around for too long. You want to take advantage of that sage experience. I don't think, though, they ever envisioned that we would get to a point that we would permit Aaron Burr-like gangster government, that government exists to line my pockets. Like, I get wealthier the longer I serve. And I and 92% of incumbents get reelected in every election, which is the current trend line. I don't think they ever envisioned that that would occur. And I think that that's why we have an amendment process for when things happen that in a, in a modern time that that could not be envisioned in 1791. And I, I think that we need term limits desperately. That I think whatever, whatever trade-off we would have had with some wise old sage um, compared to the amount of gangster government lifers, uh, we're in the red on that one, okay? We're, if we have a modern-day Ben Franklin, he can write blogs, all right? We'll put up with that to get rid of all the other fiends that are hold and occupy office. And it's funny, one of the main complaints against term limits is, well, then they'll come to Washington and not know how government, how the system works. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They don't know why. They don't know why what K Street is. That they don't. They don't know. And and we're not going to give them twenty years to figure it out. Wholeheartedly agree. That's exactly what we're looking for. A bunch of neophytes. It's the old line from Bill Buckley. I'd rather be. I'd rather open up the phone book and be represented by indiscriminate names I just picked out of the phone book than the current four hundred thirty-five members of the House mm -hmm. of Representatives. Now I'll say four thirty-four because one of them, Chip Roy, is a very good friend of mine. But even he would probably agree with that. Hmm. And I'm just curious, real quick, about um, your uh, your stance or your uh, your prominent figure in Iowa, and you have um, you've been involved in the primary process there, which is amazing, and it's the first uh, primary in, in the electoral cycle, and you've been around the block in politics. So my question is, what um, what have you learned being on the inside of politics, and is there something that might um, <laughs> that our viewers might find interesting or something peculiar about uh, what's going on on the inside of politics. And then how can that relate to this election cycle that we are about to go into? You guys aren't kids, but you're younger than me. So I'll say to you what I say to my teenagers, okay? Are you sure you want me to answer that question? Okay, the policy we've always had with our kids growing up is whenever they ask the right question, we'll give them the right answer, okay? So if you want, mm. if you really wanna know the answer to that, um, it's what, however bad you think it is, however corrupt you think it is, however shallow you think it is, it is worse than you think it is. It is worse than you think it is. And, and I, I think that one of the main contributors to this, frankly, is 
when when the guy who runs, I'm just picking UPS because I saw a UPS truck before I came down here. When the president of UPS, when 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 he wants to meet with one of his one of the drivers of one of his busiest routes, he doesn't call him up and say, "Hey, are you busy? Hey, can I get a picture with my kids and you? I know I know you're swamped for time." No, the expectation is, I am the boss, you are the subordinate. I am free at two o'clock on Thursday. I expect you to be here, right? Right. Okay. Like when 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 Mark Meckler needs something from one of the two of you here at COS, is he like, hey, are you guys sure you're free? You guys sure got the time? Let me schedule my time around yours. Is that how it works here at COS or is the expectation? Well, he's kind of running the show. So, you know, we're here. We work for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's actually one of the um, things we hear at COS a lot is an appeal to politics. Um, people say, why would we need COS if if I can just vote for the right person? If, right. if someone new right. could come along and save us, and, right. and so it's great that you bring that up. Right. Well, and what I, what I see happen is we have made our employees the star of the show. I want a picture with the president. I want a picture with the governor. In no other human endeavor, other than pro sports, can I think of, where the owner wants wants the adoration and approval of the employee. But ultimately, even in that situation, the players can't play forever. They're term limited by their own natural age and ability, right? And so even in that situation, it's it, it doesn't fester for decades because guys can't play that long. And so what we have done, some of this we can't control. We, we can't control how much corporate America can outbid us and things of that nature. But what we can control is why do we turn these people into like matinee idols, stars? Why is every candidate, every every time, this is the guy that, that, that if this guy doesn't win, the state of Texas is over. The United States is over. Um, and And I think the idea that these people are messianic in nature, that they are deliverers when, when really we're the ones giving them the stone tablets. They're messengers. They're representatives. They're our ambassadors, our, our proxies. That's what a representative form of government is supposed to mean. And I think instead what we've turned them into is stars and we've idolized them and we fed into that because then what happens is when they disappoint us and don't do the job we want, we will then rationalize it. Well, so-and-so got bad advice. Um, so-and-so couldn't do this. You know, it's funny. Uh, there's a portion of even my audience that treats a near 80-year-old multi-billionaire success story like Donald Trump, like he's five years old. Like they gave him the most powerful office in all the world. And then every time he does something wrong, it's always somebody else's fault and he's a victim. You know? And well, then why the hell did you give him the job? If he can't do the job. If, he's, if the deep state, the swamp, the media won't let him do anything, then I guess the elections aren't that important, right? There's no point to him then because who cares? He won't be able to do anything anyway. This is a rationalization that we do. And, and I recognize it because I come from the world of sports media. That's where I started. And we do it in sports. You know, if you guys down there in Texas, if I'm hosting a radio show in Houston, it's more of a Texas A&M area. And if the Texas quarterback... Sam Ellinger gets busted for a DUI over the weekend. Every Texas A&M fan is going to call my show and talk about, yeah, another one of those lazy limousine liberal 
Longhorns, talking a good game, all progressive, enlightened, just another drunk thug quarterback. That's what they're going to call my show and say. And then next weekend when Kellen Mond gets busted for a DUI, those same exact A&M fans are going to call me up and they're going to say, man, we really believe in second chances and grace here at Texas A&M. And by the way, if I hosted a show in Austin, it'd just be the same show in reverse. Sam Ellinger deserves a second chance. Kellen Mond's a thug. This is what we've done politically is Republicans and Democrats are Alabama, Auburn, Texas, Texas A&M, Michigan, Ohio State, USC, Notre Dame, Yankees, Red Sox. Just pick your rivalry, man. And, yeah. and, and we've turned this into a sporting contest when it's, it's, a, it's about far bigger stakes than that. And if, if we could change one thing, that would be it. I would urge us to change our approach and to see these people as employees. When, when I have senators and stuff come into my studio, I call them by their first name, guys. I'm the boss. Address you by a title. This isn't the freaking Union Jack court. I'm the boss. Okay? I love Ted Cruz. He's a friend of mine. When he comes to my studio or on my show, he is not Senator Cruz. His name is Ted. And I call him on the phone. His name is Ted. That's his name. Now, if I'm at like an official state function, when I worked on this presidential campaign, if it was an official event or something, of course, I honored the, the, the occasion. But, but short of that, this guy, I'm the, I, I don't need him. He needs me. We've, we've reversed, we got to reverse the polarity of this relationship. We are way unevenly yoked here. Amen to that. Um, we've heard Mark Meckler say that uh, many times that it's like you were saying a polarity shift or what he has mentioned as a, a paradigm shift mm -hmm. as well, where, uh, but he talks it more in the vein of self-governance that we need to stop relying on the national government, start focusing on more state and local uh, self-governance and, and and things of that nature. We're, we're coming up to the last bit of this interview, so I just want to get one more question in, uh, and you've been just such a great sport answering our questions and just going into deep detail. So this last one I want to ask, ask you about is- uh, Details a great euphemism about... for your answers are too long. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> you got a future in this great, business, brother. Well said. <laughs> Thank you. Um, in your in your book, Truth Bombs, you talked about how it's time for an Article Five Convention of States, um, and then one of your previous books is now being made into a movie. I was hoping that you would be able to just give us a a little bit uh, of information about this this movie that's upcoming, and then also please share with our viewers where they can find you because. I know our viewers need to hear more of Steve Dace because this is just an amazing, this has been an amazing interview. Oh, that's very kind. And oh, shucks, if you're going to ask a man to talk about himself, by golly. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll affirm that choice or question. Um, a Nefarious Plot uh, was the, the movie rights to that uh, book were purchased a couple of years ago by Believe Entertainment, which just did the movie uh, Unplanned based on Abby Johnson's expose from her time at Planned Parenthood. And what the, the book is an homage to C.S. Lewis's classic, A Screwtape Letters, except I wanted to write a story about what happened, what would happen if a demon, instead of just how we tempt an individual, uh, how I went after and took down an entire culture. And so the book is written by a senior demon general from hell named Lord Nefarious, uh, who was tasked by the devil with taking down America. And in the book, he lays out his entire plan, connects all the dots, names, names, and he puts it right in our face. And the fact that we will ignore it, won't believe it, is how he will convince his master, the devil, that his plan is successful and cannot be reversed. And we're in the script writing process for this movie right now. We're hoping we can begin filming as soon as maybe later this year. So um, we're really excited about that. In fact, um, 
we're going to make this announcement here soon. The sequel book uh, comes out on December 15th, and it's called A Christmas Carol, and it is a takeoff of A Christmas Carol. And now that, the, now that Satan is convinced that Nefarious has conquered America, he's going to use America as the launch point for the culmination of his master plan. And so one night he, at Christmas time, he comes up to a scared young woman who's running away from an abusive relationship, and he, and he needs to convince her to bear him a son, the Antichrist. And she has to do it of her own free will for the ritual to take hold, otherwise he can't impose on her. And so he's got to legitimately woo her. And so over the course of one evening, he takes her through her past, her present, and her future, just like in A Christmas Carol, to, to try and make the case why, for, uh, why of her own free will, she should align with him and join with him in ushering in a brave new world. And so that book will be out on December the 15th. Wow, that's fascinating. Sounds great. So if people want to hear yeah. more from you, they can find you on blazetv.com slash dace. And what's right. your uh, at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, D-E-A-C-E, at Steve Dace Show. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, this has been an amazing interview. I'm so thankful that you gave us so much of your time and that you uh, really just got all the nuts and bolts of what's going on with uh, with COVID, with convention states. Uh, this has just been an amazing interview. Thank you so much for coming on to our program. We hope to see you here again. You bet, guys. Uh, honored that you asked and God bless. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Take care. So we are all frustrated with this corrupt political system in case that wasn't abundantly clear from this conversation, in case we, can, in case we didn't highlight that enough. Um, most Americans don't have a clue how we can change it. We feel powerless in the face of an overreaching government. And we are sick and tired of having our rights taken away by corrupt DC politicians. So that's why the Convention of States is working to pass Article 5 to working to use Article 5 of the Constitution to put the people back in charge. And so COS equips American patriots to reclaim their self-governance, just like we were talking about earlier. We are encouraging a culture of self-governance that takes responsibility for our own actions and has a voice in determining our own future. So you can get involved, and we would encourage you to do that. Um, to be a part of this incredible movement by signing the petition at conventionofstates.com and join your local COS team. We have teams across the country who are actively working to spread the word about self-governance. Um, and, and it's amazing. These, these people are incredible. They are such passionate patriots and we are hoping to change DC forever. And we would love for you to be a part. Yes, and when after you've signed the petition, make sure to follow us on Instagram, on Twitter. You're already following us on Facebook, which is amazing, but make sure to get all of these social media boxes checked. And then also make sure to watch Mark Meckler on the Battle Cry, which is Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time right here at the, uh, at the COS Facebook channel. And make sure to come next Tuesday for another episode of the Facebook Live at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Well, that's all we have for you this week. It's time for us to get to work, though, because we have a country to save. Bye.